Caution. Learning in progress. Hello, everybody, and thank you all so much for listening in to another episode of Smarter Every Season. My name is Tyler Hubert, and I'm joined here in studio by a couple different members of Precision Planning that I'm going to get to in a second. Uh, it's a just a beautiful day here in Tremont, so we're excited to be here and be doing this. The first person that I want to bring in and kind of introduce to everybody, if we actually go back to the last episode, we talked to a couple RMs, uh, Matt Grove, Gavin Burgess, about inventory management, and we introduced a new member or a new voice of, that's going to kind of be joining the podcast, and that was Freya Watson, and we had to spell that out, F-R-E-Y-A. I even had to stop and think about it again there, but Freya is going to be kind of a new voice as we uh, transition away from a time of having Paul Harms and, and Nolan Kitterman as regular voices on the podcast, so we introduced Freya last time. She gave us a little bit of background. We actually have another new voice. We've got a couple that are going to be joining the podcast. But right now, it gives us the opportunity to introduce another new member to the podcast that hopefully everybody's going to be hearing more from, and that's Nate Burnham. How are you, Nate? I'm doing well, Tyler. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. So we gave Freya a little bit of an opportunity to kind of introduce herself. So I'm going to ask you to do the same. What? Uh, how did you come to Precision Planning? Uh, you've actually been with the company now. You're, you're not necessarily just new to the podcast. You're kind of... I would say fairly new to Precision. Been with us about four or five months. Yeah, it started back in April. April, I think it was the beginning. So jumped right in, right into the fire. It was it was a really good time. Loved loved all of it. Um, yeah, I kind of came to Precision because of a friend and mentor of mine over the years. Um, actually works in our R and D department, and he's been talking to me for quite a while. Of like, hey, you would really love the culture here. I think you would fit in. You know it's a great company, great people to work with. And, uh, so an opportunity came along actually, uh, through some kind of random events, but, uh, but here I am. So, and a married man, recently a married man. Yes. Got married in May. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. We're glad to have you. And yet, uh, Nate's going to be taking on some hosting roles and co-hosting roles and more with the podcast. So I've worked with you on a couple of things already leading up to this. this is the first time everybody will hear your voice on air, if you will, but I'm excited to have you. I think this is going to be awesome for you. I think you're going to have a blast and do a great job. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it. Got some got some big shoes to fill with, uh, you know, coming in after Paul and Nolan, uh, you know, found some other opportunities in life. But I'm I'm excited to take on the on the challenge and learn some new skills. You bet. You'll fill them well. You'll fill them well. So here's what we're going to do. As we air this episode, uh, kind of toward the middle of September. We want to kind of transition everybody's thought process to getting combines ready, right? It's almost that time. In some places in the world, it's already that time. They may have been harvesting for a little while, but a bulk of the country is going to really break loose into the harvest season. Mm -hmm. And so this podcast is approaching the two-year-old mark. I want to say that we started this podcast sometime in October of 2020. And so just by the nature of starting around October – um, I think we did kind of like a pilot episode where we, sh we, we shared our vision for the podcast. Then we had Justin Kaufman on to do kind of a book review. And then the next episode we did was we brought in Will Frank, mm -hmm. uh, who works in our, our, our R&D team. And he talked about basically the process of how we arrived where we did with the creation of YieldSense. 
why did we need a grain property bucket? Why did we decide to have our own flow sensor pad and mount it where we did? What is the value of those things? And he kind of took us through that process. So that was episode number two that we had Will Frank on. And if everybody's not picking up on this already, I, I feel like I got to do a little bit of this housekeeping to lead up to and build suspense to what we're going to talk about today. Um, last year, then around this time, again, trying to bring everybody back around to the mindset of, you know, hey, harvest is coming and, and here's how you kind of mentally prepare. Uh, we had Wendy Ulrich on, who's our product support yield sense uh, lead. And Wendy really talked quite a bit about here's the operational things that you need to be prepared for as we get into yield sense or, or harvest time of year. I think the next episode right after that, we had Caleb Schlater on, who's our product support lead. And he actually comes from a background of working directly with, with combines kind of on the Agco side. And he dove deep into combine maintenance. Mm -hmm. So Will was episode two, Wendy was episode 31, Caleb was episode 32. I say all that to highlight, go back and listen to those. Those are all still yeah. real worthwhile, timely. But here's what we want to do today, because again, we are getting into that yield sense time. And one of the things that I don't think that we've hit on quite yet on yield sense is the why, which is a little bit funny because it, it feels like that's been woven into a lot of those previous episodes. But that's kind of what we want to dive into today is the why behind it. And what I mean is what's the value to the grower of YieldSense past just what we kind of did on the engineering side to try and make a very accurate yield monitoring system. What beyond that is the value? What is the coaching that we do with the data collected from, from YieldSense? And to help kind of take us through that conversation, we have Ken Souter here with us and Ken is an RM in Indiana, and I think it's, I think it's, is it a region within Indiana? Because Indiana's kind of split, correct? It would, it would be. It'd be basically the northern from Route 70 north all the way up to the Michigan line. Okay, okay. And I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, I said, you know, Ken Souter, give us a little bit of, you, of your background. And actually, there's probably quite a, quite a few people listening that, that know you, are familiar with you. You've been with the Precision family for quite a while. Um, not to try to date you, <laughs> but give me a little bit of your background. How long have you been here? What's, what's kind of been some of the different things you've done with precision planning? Yeah, it, it goes back a lot of years, right? I mean, basically we started early, early when we started assembling uh, test stands. So uh, 1997 is when I started at precision. Uh, I'd been working with Greg and, uh, we worked together, still harvested together at that stage. And, uh, he started this kind of as a sideline and uh, got drafted into building machines and then head into the shows and I guess the rest of its history over the years. <laughs> but uh feel like uh, I, I've been around the world. Uh, I've seen a lot of the a lot of the growers that are listening today and uh, been in your home territories and uh, just been a pleasure. It's it's been a great run here for precision planning. It has. It's been a blast, even in my time. And just to call out Greg being the founder of precision planting back in the day for those who may not know. Correct. Yeah. So Ken, let's go ahead and dive in. Um, I'm going to ask a question that I hope kind of jumps off of my intro fairly well. What is the coaching then that you give folks around the yield sense map? Like what's the value past just an accurate instant yield? Yeah. And, and I always tell everybody that the reality is some growers don't want a lot of information. Uh, I don't need an accurate map to give me that. They're just looking for just a confirmation of, 
oh, that field made 195 bushel. That's fine, but I always ask the question and come back to what you're going to do with your information. So as we think that through, how do we, how do we utilize it? Because data has no value unless you're drawing out of it and taking it and making the next best decision. And in our whole focus on, on precision, right, believe in better, there's only one way to get to better, and that's to use the information you have. Um, and kind of going off of that, like, what is your process um, when you have a yield map? Like, how do you use that information to uh, make decisions? Yeah, so, so back in the early days, I mean, and, and I started with Yield Monitor basically in, in year two that uh, Meyer had put out the Ag Leader, uh, so that uh, YM2000 uh, is where we started. And uh, for a lot of you, you may have forgotten or don't even remember, but uh, it really drove the need for a bag phone because uh, <laughs> you were on on the phone quite a bit back to support. One, one was actually to, uh, to Al trying to figure out how to make this work correctly. The other part was uh, on the mapping side. So, you know, in the early days, we worked with Ted Macy, and, and we, we talked back and forth. And really, that was, that was why we bought a bag phone in the early day was because not because we needed the information anywhere else. I needed to figure out how to make it work. And uh, as, as we did that, we, we've refined it over the years, right? Each year is kind of a stepping stone, a building block, and uh, we've just taken that to a whole different level in the last uh, 15 years. Uh, so from the early days, you know, it was a really pretty map, but what did you do with it? And everything I thought I was going to do with it, I did not do. Uh, it actually drove me to make a decision to buy a tiling machine because the wet areas in my fields were affecting yields much greater than what I envisioned when I first started because I was thinking it was a fertility issue. But uh, as we started getting better maps, better pictures of what you were seeing, that allowed us to make better decisions going forward. So that's kind of what has led us to the level we're at today. So like today for you to, if somebody would come to you and say, hey, take a look at my yield maps, what, what, do you, what do you see? Is there anything that you feel like your eye is kind of naturally drawn to or that you would, would kind of pick up first on a map? Oh, we do. We definitely want to take a look at it. And I never want to see... A, what I call a pattern through the field. Uh, and what I mean by that is if I'm, if I'm not changing through the field, so if, if I show streaks through the field, I immediately know it's a badly calibrated monitor or they failed to utilize the, the ability to calibrate. So sometimes that's the issue. It's not that it doesn't. It's just we failed to actually plug in the measurements correctly. And uh, that just takes us that whole path. But to me, it's a two-stage process because I always like to lay my, my yield map over the top of a soil-type map. And uh, I'm looking for the, the calibration or the there should be a pretty good, accurate justification as to why the yields have changed. It's not by accident. Yields are where they're at. So does it match up to my soil types? And if it doesn't, then I start asking the question, why? What happened? In, in a lot of yield maps, I always say, a good yield map, you're going to have a, a magic marker and you're going to start drawing circles around areas and ask why, what, what's, what's going on here, what, you know, why, why does this look like this? So a lot of times yield maps should be filled with a lot more questions sometimes than answers at that stage. 
I remember a couple episodes ago, Corey Mulbauer kind of having a similar approach. We talked to him about up, just approaching a field, like kind of what is your mental process? And it's funny to hear you talk about looking for patterns, which I feel like was one of the first places that he started, was like, can I compare this to a soil map and see a pattern as to why a certain zone in my field is not yielding as well as other zones are? Um, aside from that, if I can't, is it a situation where I need to start to look at machinery? Does it line up with a, a machine pass uh, that I can try and pick out and notice? And so I, I think it's really cool that unprompted, both of you kind of brought up patterns that you're trying to, to, to find or identify in a field. Yeah, that, that's probably one of, the, one of the problems in my mind of a yield monitor because we're blending, if you're an eight-row corn head, what are we doing? We're blending all eight rows together. So I lose the, the ability to see, do I have wheel track issues? Do I have, you know, a lot fine detail? Well, what if I've got a 12-row head? But I start asking the questions, what is it telling me? Does it lay to soil type? Does it lay to hybrid? Okay. And, and, and there's that, there should be a solid correlation to that. Then I start asking, is there a correlation to my population? especially for my guys that are on VRT, where we're changing that based on water holding capacity in my soils. So, they're, you know, back to that whole understanding. I'm looking for a pattern, and if I'm not finding a pattern, we have a problem. We need to figure out why. <laughs> so, I think we could probably go into a full episode on each of those pieces of coaching, right? Mm -hmm. um, can you give me kind of a high level of, if it is a situation where it's, it's soil, uh, if it is hybrid, if it is one of those different things, kind of where you take that. So let's let's start with soil. Kind of what what's your next bit of coaching or what do you kind of want to know or take it after that? Yeah, so I always look to see, you know, and, and got to quantify a little bit here. Is it a grower that's running a planter that's half one hybrid and half another hybrid? And if that's the case, does my head line up to that? And if so, am I finding streaking in my field that direction? So that could be a very justifiable, it's a hybrid variation. It's not necessarily a soil type variation. But I still better have higher yielding areas and lower yielding areas. And we all know as we harvest, as we sit there and watch that corn come in, and you're looking as you cut the land at that last pass, I have a five to six point moisture variation as I'm going through the field. So I'm really measuring plant health, and I can see a visual, but does my yield monitor confirm that to me as well? So where I have healthier plants, we should have higher yields. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that yield monitor map, yes, that's an after the fact, but I should be able to pick that out physically while I'm sitting in that operator seat running through the field. So you should be making mental notes as well as, you know, and... If anybody's like me, you, you got to jot it down in, in a tablet because, uh, I'm sorry, it, <laughs> two days later, you totally forgot. You, you remember what the field was, what it kind of looked like, but you really don't have any idea what the variation was going through that field because you've been through a different field. So kind of tying back in the uh, the pattern aspect of, of this, is there a certain amount of like, or a certain number of years that you want to see a pattern before you make a decision, like a drastic change in how you're actually doing things or kind of what's your, what's your thought on that? 
Yeah, I think that's a great point, right? I mean, in the early days, I would tell you my first uh, probably three to four years of yield data, I basically threw away just because it wasn't accurate. It wasn't calibrated correctly. But that's, you know, years past, right? So we've come a long way. But now I always say I'm really looking for a minimum of three years, and I think you need five years because do I have bug issues? Do I have disease issues? And uh, we all know that when we have, we have basically windborne pathogens, uh, you know, many of you are dealing with some tar spot issues and things like that last year. Uh, was, is it a ground-up pathogen or is it a, a blown-in pathogen? Uh, so, you know, if I'm looking at northern leaf blight, southern leaf blight, all those things added back in here, uh, a lot of that should be showing up in that. So that's why I really need four or five years. So in the early, early days where we had corn bean rotations, we struggled to have to get five years of data. And we actually blended maps and we adjusted everything to 100 bushel. So percentage-wise, we would take corn and adjust it down to 100. We'd adjust beans up to 100. And I can lay a corn and a bean map over the top of each other and tell me, is my pattern surfacing at that stage? So that should be a water-holding capacity at that point. I don't necessarily have to have two years of corn. Now, depending upon where I'm at today, I do like five years of corn data, and I do like five years of bean data. And, but you're going to see there's a pretty good correlation, but I know that my BRT maps, basically corn populations, I'm running different than what I'm running on soybeans. Because my high ground, I'm going lower on corn, whereas mm. on a soybean, you're going higher population. That's a good point. So you got to be a little careful. Are we coming to the wrong conclusions when I start blending multiple maps together at that point? And I like what you hit on as far as like talking about different um, the the role that different elements can play on any given year. So, like, not necessarily just taking the yield map at what it says, but also being aware of the other the other factors that are going on. Like, there are a lot of guys this year that have been hit really hard with some tough weather weather issues. That if you look at a yield map from this year for some guys, it may say like, "Well, you had a really low yield in this area," but it could be an effect of maybe maybe too much wind got to that part or, you know, something along those lines where we're not taking that and making our decision off of that because we know what the cause was. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point, right? And, and, and it's a matter of understanding there's certain years you're going to have areas of your map you're not going to use because if I had water that stood in this area, drowned out, it, uh, you know, it definitely changed my yield. So I got to take that whole section, cut it out, and say, hey, I can't use any of that data just because it's so suspect at that point. It's the value of local data. It's it is. A, it's the value of what that farmer provides in that, right? So understanding that we can't prescribe because you see this on a yield map, you do this, right? That value of that local data to be able to tell the story of what happened in that year, maybe weather-wise, or maybe it's yeah, there's actually an old machine shed buried there or something like that, right? The value of that local data is a key piece. Right. You're correct because every grower knows history if we farmed it for a number of years, right? Oh, there used to be a fence row down there. So manure applications are uh, totally different between those two sides of the farm. Uh, it, I'm expecting to see that actually match up when I'm looking at my yield map that if 
hey, I, I know that the manure was always hauled close to the barn. That's the reality, right? We, we never haul the manure to the farthest corner of the field. So uh, how does that affect these yield maps? So sometimes soil types are giving us that. Sometimes our soil testing capabilities, but, uh, you know, now with radical, that's going to be a whole other conversation. But, uh, you know, that, that's just a piece of how do we look at all this information and how do we utilize it. So it's back to understanding, what am I going to do with my yield monitor data? And, you know, ultimately, I'm going to tell you, we all need to be adjusting population based on water holding capacity. So my yield map is a critical component to get to this level. And I'm looking for that continuity of my maps over multiple years and uh, just where that takes me at that stage. I think the other thing that you're saying there, not to put words in your mouth, but what I'm pulling away from this conversation too is that we're highlighting the value of that, that yield map, right? That's kind of the point of, of the conversation that we're having. But in having confidence to take steps forward, it really is about multiple different pieces of data too, right? That's why we're recommending or saying it, it maybe it's three to five years worth of data before we make a decision and, and soil maps play into that and, uh, you know, soil testing, like local data, right? Like we just talked about, um, that, that there are many things that you start to look at to build confidence in a, a decision. Is that, does that seem fair? It is. It's a piece of it, right? And, and I know that as we go along and I always say each year you fine tune it a little more than we did the previous year. So as I add multiple years of data, so I may start with three years of data, but as I add that fourth year, the fifth year, I'm going back in and looking to say, did I come to the right conclusions? So it's just a confirmation, yes, I'm on the right track, or no, I need to, I need to tweak that. And I always tell everybody, don't get hung up just on a soil type, right? I use that a lot, but it's not unusual. I'll come in here and take a, a magic marker and draw a line between two areas and say, hey, this is the same soil type on each side, but I have different, radically different yield potential between these two. So I've got to add additional lines that I'm going to put into this map. Now, today I would also take and lay what I call a LIDAR map over that as well, where I'm looking at the elevation because it's back to, you know, I've dealt with some heavy low ground and uh, water holding is a piece of that. And sorry, sometimes we get those four or five inch frog stranglers. <laughs> and, and at that stage, you know, my, my yield map, I got to be careful what information I'm using out of it at that point. It's a great point to, to circle back to that, that three to five years worth of data, then a decision doesn't mean the end of the conversation, that that's a constant evaluation process. And, yeah. and that's why, you know, in my notebook, so I, I keep my maps year to year and, and I've got 15, 18 years of yield map data. And uh, I go back and I review that because I, I love the information when I have a dry year. I can go back and I can look at that. So, you know, in, in, in 2005, in 1988, 1983, you young guys don't remember those years, but, uh, you know, I had water holding capacity issues in those years. Okay. Uh, it's a great way to go back and utilize if I'm trying to come to conclusions, what's a dry year tell me versus what is a wet year tell me. So just because I come to a general conclusion, this is my prescription I'm going to use, I also like to keep in my mind, don't forget the extreme, extreme dry, extreme wet, and what all those capabilities can tell me at the same time. On a side note, 
you reference years that are, you know, 30 and 40 years ago. Do you make notes anywhere in like the maps or somewhere that for you, you can go back and remember, oh yeah, that was a dry year. That was a wet year. Or are you just that good that you remember it? You have to make notes. Okay. okay? (laughs) (laughs) Now, certain years do stand out that you never forget because it does change (laughs) your whole farming atmosphere, right? Yeah, Yeah. But as a whole... You know, and, and that's why I always say the most critical thing we can do at the end of a season is sit down with what I call every operator that was in that combine and make all your notes. And that's why don't be afraid to have three or four maps and you're going to combine them because your first notes won't always make sense. It's like, well, I think this area was here. But I ask everybody that sat in the seat of that combine, take a magic marker, draw a circle around what your observations were the day you were there. And yeah. when, when that grain tank gets full, you don't just sit there and wait for the auger wagon, right? You get your rear out of the seat. Oh, that's a killer statement, isn't it? <laughs> you got to get out of the seat. And it's not always to get off the combine to take a leak. It's to get off and look at what are the ears telling you at that yeah. stage. So just like I always tell you, you can't make one decision with a planter pass. I can't make one decision with a combine pass. I need some verification. What am I seeing at this point? So the most critical thing you can do is not just to stay stationary in the seat. So I'm going to say this too for the listener because I feel like it's got to be called out that Ken's also being modest. He's also pretty sharp. He does have a pretty good memory. He's encouraging everybody to do the right thing, and that's take notes. Right. But he remembers pretty well, just for the listener to kind of keep that oh, keep yeah. that in their mind. But I'm nowhere close to my neighbor, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> so as we kind of move along on this episode, what what are some common mistakes or like – things that you see guys miss when they're looking at their yield maps so we can kind of, you know, keep those in the back of our head so we don't make those same mistakes or, like, miss the, those common things. Yeah, I think the hardest thing that guys fail to do correctly, and that's to make the notes on the map, okay? Because I'll, I'll be honest with you, two years later, I can remember the field, but I don't have a clue especially if I had some bug issues or pest issues. You know, if I'm combining and I see broken stalks, I need to know, was there a pest that came in, bored into that stalk, causing me some down corn, because I know down corn's going to have a lower yield. If I don't make that note on there, I'm going to totally forget that two, three years later. Okay, we just don't remember those kinds of things. So I think the biggest thing that I see is people fail to make good notes. And no matter how many notes you make, two years later, you're going to wish you had made better ones. <laughs> so so if I were to ask you the question, what's your best advice? I'm going to take a stab in the dark here. Is it going to be take notes? That would probably be uh, right at the top of the list, <laughs> right? And, uh, you know, y- 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 the, the more detail, the better the conclusions you're going to come to. It's like all things, right? We're a student till the day we die. So don't, don't take too much for granted and uh, continue to, to mark up maps, continue to, to take good notes while you're in the field, uh, the most critical things we can do. Okay, Ken, I want to go back to something else that you brought up because I'm sitting here thinking on it a little bit. You had kind of brought up doing an ear evaluation, right? I think the phrase you used was getting the butt out of the seat right. when you're waiting for the auger cart. How do you do that? And as I say that, I think that's an episode in and of itself, right? But can you take me kind of high level through what are you looking for when you do an ear evaluation? And 
what are the things to consider? Sure. So what, when I'm sitting in that combine, what, and I, I made the statement, I'm looking at the land when I cut through, right? And I'm looking at the, the quality of my stalk on that pat, last pass. But I'm also looking at, number one, what's my ear height, right? Because did I place everything at that seventh node down? We know that's where we need to be. And then I'm also kind of trying to correlate, as I'm watching in the combine head coming in, I'm looking for what I call the even-sized ears. Do we have that carbon copy that we talk so much about? Because when I get out of that seat and, and I'm crawling down, i got to understand, if I have the latent mergers, I'm coming to a wrong conclusion with my yield map. I need to say, hey, I had a planter issue. Now, that could be that area of the field that's a little damp, right? It could have been the fact that we set our, our whole planter setup right by the gap where we pulled in and we went up over the hill and came to the damp spot. And when we went through the damp spot, now we got hatchet roots, we've got uh, trenches that didn't close, you know, and, and I always joke with guys a little bit that, uh, you know, your definition of damp and my definition of damp don't always line up. <laughs> and, and the reality is sometimes guys hit the throttle to get through the area. That's no longer damp. That's just plain wet. And I already know you're going to have a 60 bushel yield loss in that area. Yeah. So I, I'm expecting my yield monitor to give me that confirmation, but some guys don't want to know that, so they don't want to get off that seat to the combine and take a look to understand, hey, it was a pilot error the day I was out in the field. So those are the things that we got to start. You know, that there, there's so much information here, and it's a matter of do you want to be on the A game or do you want to be on the C team and just be comfortable with you know, everybody already knows what the county average is. And you understand half the growers in the county are below that. <laughs> so I assume that's probably not your goal is to be in the bottom half. There's an old saying that I think goes something like, if you only do what everybody else does, you'll be average. Yeah, boy, yeah. amazing how that works. You know, and I, and I always tell everybody, every grower I work with, they want to really be in the top 10 growers in the county. So how do you get that? It's paying attention to these kind of details and making that decision. What do I do with this yield map? Does it tell me I had planter issues? Does it tell me I had issues the day I planted with just the fact that I pushed the window too much? And, and sometimes that is a confirmation. Uh, you might have suspected it, but if you never came back to, to verify it, you just kind of forgot that, well, that was the first field I planted. Yeah, it was probably 20% of my area was a little damp. And what, what else goes into that evaluation? You know, it, it, everybody kind of laughs, but uh, there's a spade on my combine, believe it or not, because you need to be able to evaluate. It when I have those plants and they're telling me I had a problem, are you going to do anything about it? And, and sometimes we get so wrapped up, we got to get more acres. Hey, I got to... You know, and, and everybody knows I, I average 20,000, 30,000 bushel per day. Uh, I, I got to hit those numbers. But what does it really cost me to take the five minutes when that combine is full? I'm waiting for the auger wagon to get back. And some of you guys are going to tell me, oh, my auger wagon never gets back. And, and maybe this year, this, this year you're not going to have to wait for that auger wagon. Because, uh, you know, if you, you guys to the west, I'm sorry, it, uh, you're going to have some lower yields in some of those fields that are begging for rain here today. Uh, you're, you're still going to be worthy to take the time. And if, if you're not going to do it yourself, you need to have somebody in your operation that's working right along with the combine operator to take the time to do that. you got to learn and 
learn in every situation, whether you uh, whether it's a bad year as far as like the weather goes, take the time to get out and do those evaluations so you can learn what it looks like in this specific year so you can recognize that going forward. Yeah, and, and part of that, and, in, in, you know, my assumption is most most growers already understand the hybrid that they're planting. Is it a flex? Is it a determinant? Because that's affecting my population, right? Um, so if I have missing plants, if I have latent mergers, and I have a very determinant type hybrid, I already know my yield is going to suffer because of that. Now, if I have a flex, yes, I can handle that. Uh, you know, and we always joke a little bit and say that the hybrid companies have done a great job of calling every hybrid a flex. Really, what they're saying is, as a grower, when I screw up, they're going to help me fix my mistakes. <laughs> so I had an analogy that I just jotted down here. I want to run it by you, see if you like this. The ear check is equivalent to getting out and digging or furrow evaluation in the spring. Oh, there's, there, there's a direct correlation to this, isn't there? <sighs> If I can, if I can throw out an analogy that Ken's on board with, I think that's a that's an A for me for the day. We'll give you an attaboy for that one. Thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. So to try and kind of bring this home, or or to put action items to our conversation today, how do you advise a dealer to help a grower handle what you've talked about today? Because I think to your point, there is a ton of data that's generated. And there are some that are really good about taking that data and taking the next step. I, I don't want to speak out of line. You probably have more experience with this than I do, but I still think there are a lot that don't, that, that don't know how to take that next step. What is your advice to our listeners or to dealer network in helping come alongside a grower in that? Yeah, I, th I think for every, every dealer knows which one of their growers are data-driven. They know some that are not but would like to be, so can they help them at that stage? And, and part of that's education, right? Uh, I mean, that's that's the core of who we are as a company, is we we help people understand how to do better. And, and you know, it's not by accident we talk about believing better, right? Uh, there's a purpose to this. And, and our dealer team knows this well. They know which growers can take advantage of that. So you always spend your energy on your growers that are going to give me the greatest return. The return is they're looking for help. And let's be honest, as a grower myself, I know that I will always take advice from people that have my best interest at heart. If they show up just to show me something, tell me something, but don't have any background to it, uh, they slide to the bottom of the list pretty quick. So... If you want to be the, the guy that's in the know and brings the data to them, helps them understand that. Now, a lot of that's going to be some hard work because you're asking them to do hard work. Get off the combine and dig. Get off the combine. And maybe you as the dealer are going to do some of that digging for them. You know, go out and spend two hours with a grower. So if you got got 100 customers, yeah, you got uh, you got a couple weeks' work lined up. But what are you doing at the same time? You're probably taking some orders for some other product because you're pointing out, hey, we had some uneven emergence. Hey, we had we had this happening. Oh, hey, we, well, I'm actually still finding some hatchet roots, so we know we had a poor job of closing. Uh, you think we need to address closing wheel concerns on your planner? I mean, it, it's everything we do is education first, but there's a reward in, in the orders that you take at that stage. 
Ken, I love it. I think that pretty well answers everything that I kind of want to talk about or had on my mind on this on this topic. So I just want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day today and coming in and, and being with us and sharing some of your knowledge. Hey, it's always a pleasure. We got some great dealers. We got some fantastic growers. And uh, we're always available, right? We're available to everybody to help everybody do one notch better next year than they did this year. That's right. So reach out, talk to you, talk to you, to us, talk to your your region managers, talk to the product support guys. We're here to help you do better. Let's throw in a fun one here, real quick. Not that this whole conversation hasn't been fun, but um, how are the grandkids? You got any good good stories about the grandkids this summer? Oh, I tell you what, it uh, so sometimes the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> <laughs> but when it was your kid, it bothered you. But now when you see it in your grandkids, it doesn't, you laugh, oh, right? It, it, it's so easy to spoil grandkids, you know, <laughs> and, and it's amazing how your kids don't think that was fair. You know, they're like, you're a whole different person now that you're a grandparent. Yep. I'm like, yep, sure is fun, isn't it? My, my dad will openly tell people that like, basically grandkids are the reward for, for not, for keeping the kids around. Like I... You know, I just, I tolerated you two kids, my sister and I, but I love my grandkids. And I heard a comedian say that recently, that uh, grandkids are, are God's reward for not killing your kids when they were teenagers. So It's amazing how that happens. <laughs> you know, I, I always, some days I always think I need to go back and apologize to my mom and dad, but they're not here. So uh, apologize now while you still have the opportunity if your yeah. mom and dad are alive. Yeah, yeah. They know, though. They would know. <laughs> they know. They know twice as much as what you think they know. Yep. Yeah. My my parents are definitely looking forward to the day that they get to uh, pump a kid full of sugar and send him back. Send him on his way. That's exactly right. it, it is a beautiful thing to send him home at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> Mom and dad, or grandma and grandpa can do what they want. That's what it should be. That's what it should be. I love it. Well, Ken, again, thank you very much for coming in, for taking time out of your day uh, to be in here with us. This is a really fun, really good conversation. Uh, Nate, looking forward to more episodes with you, man. This was a lot of fun. I think you, you handled yourself really well today. Just so everybody knows, listening to Nate put a lot of work into preparing questions and, and conversation with Ken ahead of time, and I think that showed. So, uh, yeah, again, looking forward to more conversations that you're a part of and you kind of growing here on Smarter Every Season. Absolutely. Looking Jeff forward to it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Good. It's been a blast. And, you know, I want to echo, like, thank you so much, Ken. Uh, it was a blessing getting to chat with you and, and work with you on this episode. And Tyler is as awesome as a mentor as always. So, hey, we're looking forward to where you're going to take it. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. So with that, again, thank you to the listener so much for tuning in, for listening to this episode of Smarter Every Season. I'll take the opportunity just to say real quick, I hope that everybody has a safe and successful harvest this year. Again, I can't echo that enough. Stay safe. But thank you for listening, and please join us next time.